Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your weekly look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, and conservation news. We'll start off with a quick reminder that this is a crowdsourced news program, so if you see any zoo newsworthy stories that you would like to hear discussed on these episodes, go ahead and send them to me. You can email me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. You can tag me in them on social media at rossafari or uh, on TikTok at rossafaripod. And uh, of course, you know, make sure you're following all those things while you're there. And uh, yeah, I'll say your name at the end of the episode and say thanks and it'll just be lovely. So uh, yeah, that's how this works. Not much to report on this week in uh, the life of John Rossi, but I will tell you this, I was on the TV again. Um, This was actually, I guess, my second time being on national television. Uh, I mentioned this on on my Instagram and Facebook and it got a lot of comments, but I I did appear uh, in a very dark SNL uh, digital short a few years ago um, as a bass player in a... uh, in a kind of 80s rock band kind of doing the Guns N' Roses thing. Uh, it was in a sketch with uh, Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett, and then uh, Adam Sandler was also uh, the guest host that week and was in it. So that was that was a lot of fun, and it was very weird. Um, but yeah, if you, if you didn't see that or didn't know about that, you can just uh, Google clothes are holes, and you can go see me looking like a goober in the dark playing bass and having long hair, and it's, it's a fun journey. But uh, yeah, so so this time I was on um, CBS on a TV show called The Greatest At Home Videos that was hosted by Cedric the Entertainer. And um, they they used a clip of me drumming with Emily uh, the Elephant. I was actually on there twice. I was in the opening credits and then in the episode. Sadly, I did not win. Uh, I think they called them the SETIs, the, the awards that they were giving out. But uh, it was it was kind of fun to see myself on national TV. And the funny thing is they licensed the video through the licensing company I'm working with. So um, for those of you that saw my ranting about people just stealing content, I did get paid for this, which was cool. But uh, they they didn't really like tell me that it was going to air or anything. And um, the licensing company didn't let me know. So I literally found out when a longtime fan of the Insta and program, Janelle Peterson, uh, reached out to me and she just sent me a message and said, I saw you on TV last night. And I was like, what? Wait, what? I was on the TV? And it turns out I was on the TV. So uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And if if you want to check that out, and if you're into those types of shows, you can uh, go and check out the CBS app. And, and it's the greatest at home videos starring me. I mean, not really, but kind of. Anyway, let's get to Zoo News. Two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a binturong. It's Zoo News. Yeah. 
The AZA has teamed up with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Wildlife Tracking Alliance to set up some Toss the Tusk Ivory Surrender events. These are taking place on March 3rd at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, April 14th at the Dallas Zoo, and August 11th at the St. Louis Zoo. The idea here is that you can go if you have any um, elephant ivory items in your house and surrender them with with no issues or questions uh, because by removing ivory products from the market, uh, it's easier to keep elephants safe and uh, drive down the demand for ivory and thus illegal poaching of elephants. So this is a pretty cool thing that the AZA is teaming up with some zoos and some other partners to do. And uh, I just I hope it's successful. I I think it's such an interesting idea, and I'll be really curious to see if they say anything about the uh, the, the numbers involved or, or how successful these uh, events are. All right, let's talk through a couple of births that took place at zoos over the last week, or at the very least were announced over the last week. Uh, first of all, a Tanganyika Wildlife Park has announced the birth of a baby rhino named Marjon. Marjon is doing very well. Uh, Marjon uh, is named after two people who have supported the park, Mary and John Sendall. So Marjon, uh, which is, I think, just a really adorable name. Uh, The mother of Marjon is Monica, who is a first-time mother who is doing a very good job of raising the baby on her own. But what makes this even more interesting is that um, Monica was born at the Buffalo Zoo through artificial insemination performed by our friends at Crew at the Cincinnati Zoo. So um, this is just really cool because it's showing that not only is the AI program working and the the science that crew is doing being successful, but those animals are then able to go on and give birth and have, you know, natural good lives. So uh, this is really exciting news, both because, you know, rhinos, slightly endangered, kind of important to keep them around, but also because it shows that the cool scientific advances that we're using to help save these species are are actually working and are now starting to affect the next generation. The Milwaukee County Zoo has announced the birth of a new Victoria-crowned pigeon chick. Uh, The chick had a hard time hatching from its egg properly and, as such, uh, needed to be pulled from its mother and saved. And so uh, the the animal care team is doing human-assisted rearing with the mother. And this started off being a lot of work as the chick required feeding every two hours around the clock. Uh, Now that it has gotten a little bit healthier and is doing a little bit better, they only need to feed it four times a day. So that's that's good. But along with being an important hatching, it's also just another great example of how zoos are able to take care of these animals that had this bird been birthed in the wild, it would not have ever made it out of the egg. Pretty cool story. The Tulsa Zoo announced the birth of a new Diana monkey, which is an endangered species of monkey. Uh, it's the 34th Diana monkey born at the Tulsa Zoo. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me how some of these zoos just do such a great job with certain species. And Tulsa is definitely doing an awesome job uh, with the breeding of Diana monkeys. So congrats to everyone at the Tulsa Zoo for this awesome birth. 
And last but not least in birth announcements this week, the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium has announced the birth of three Dama gazelle calves, the rarest of all gazelles. So that's really exciting. And this is another one of those where, like, they are a really rare species. But, you know, Columbus, this is uh, what now they're up to 14 of these calves that they have had birth there. So um, it's just cool to see, again, that these different zoos really do a great job with certain species. So uh, congrats to our friends at the Columbus Zoo. And now we will move on from births and go to Dell. No, we won't. There's nothing crazy to announce this week for deaths. So uh, for those of you who always wince at that part, congratulations. We get a reprieve this week. Uh, and then moving on to some other zoo news, the AZA has announced a new safe program, this time for sloth bears. AZA SAFE programs, uh, that stands for Saving Animals from Extinction, are, um, you know, programs that focus on NC2 and XC2 conservation, breeding programs, all kinds of stuff. And this is actually the first time uh, that there is an AZA SAFE program uh, that focuses on species that are native solely to the Indian subcontinent. So pretty exciting for sloth bears. And, and hopefully this will be another SAFE program that has some amazing impacts both on the uh, captive uh, population and the wild one. The Minnesota Zoo announced that earlier this week they had a small contained fire in the offices of their Discovery Bay area. No people or animals were harmed, and uh, it happened in the morning, and Discovery Bay was open by noon, and their 1.30 p.m. dolphin training demonstration took place. It turns out that the staff did a great job, was well-trained, and knew how to handle this exact emergency, uh, which, again, this is why emergency preparedness at zoos is so important. So congrats to everyone at the Minnesota Zoo for doing such an incredible job and handling an emergency situation so well. Gotta love it when there are no injuries when an emergency happens. Y'all, I love the North Carolina Zoo. It's a really great place. It is a huge zoo. You, you walk so much when you are there in just the best way. Tons of animals that have tons of space. Um, I've been there a few times, and it's, it's really beautiful. We actually have an episode dropping soon from that zoo that you are going to love. Um, and they have announced that they will be developing a new area that is scheduled to open in 2026, which is a 10-acre Asia continent expansion that will highlight iconic species such as tigers, Komodo dragons, Asian otters, cranes, hornbills, and many more exciting additions. I'm crossing my fingers that red pandas get there, but uh, they're not in this announcement yet. Anyway, yet. I need to... Need to make some contacts, talk to some people, try and give them the Ross Safari bump, you know. But um, this is really exciting because I feel like the North Carolina Zoo is truly one of the, the biggest zoos out there, uh, at least in terms of not only how much walking you can do, but also how much you can see in that space. And I say that because if you ever are a nerd like me and go, oh, I'm embarrassed to even admit <laughs> I can't even believe I'm saying this. But yes, I have actually spent time comparing the sizes of zoos uh, using their, you know, Wikipedia entries or other information about them. Um, but, but what's interesting is that there are a whole lot of zoos that 
own a lot of property that isn't developed. And so you could find out, like, even our friends at Elmwood Park Zoo are doing this big expansion now, and it's going to be really exciting, and it's going into an area that they've owned for a long time. So depending on what information you see when you look them up, you could think, oh, Elmwood Park Zoo, John always says it's a small zoo, but it's, it's actually, you know, significantly larger than he says, and that's not true because that land isn't developed yet it will eventually be true but um yeah so so anyway my point is north carolina zoo huge getting huger yay and hey you're listening to a zoo news podcast so if you're laughing at me for going on wikipedia to compare the sizes of different zoos then i think you need to look in the mirror but as we all know it's not the size that matters it's what you do with it right right I am such a goober. Anyway, moving on. The New England Aquarium announced recently that uh, they are going to be working on a legislative agenda trying to reach out to the Massachusetts State House in order to have an impact on upcoming bills that could affect climate change and other things related to the ocean and animals that the uh, New England Aquarium takes care of and also rescues. This is actually something I think is really cool and something that I would like to see more facilities start to do. Um, You know, we talk a lot about in-situ conservation work and ex-situ conservation work being done at these facilities. We talk about rescues and rehabilitation. We talk about education and ambassadors. But, you know, we can't do a whole lot to help save this planet if the government isn't helping with that. And so the idea of, um, you know, lobbying and and being part of the political process, um, you know, especially since people who work at these facilities are experts and understand this stuff, uh, that seems really good to me. And it makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm really excited to see New England Aquarium getting so heavily involved. And honestly, I love that they're doing it at the state level because they They are a really popular, really known entity in Massachusetts. And so I think that's a great place to start. Uh, And I'd love to see more of this. Or if it's already happening at other facilities, I would love to hear about more of this happening because I, I think that's very cool. And speaking of wildly important politics, uh, it's official. May Lin is the winner and has been elected the first ever president of the Utica Zoo. Maylin is a gorgeous young red panda who I just recently got to see at the Utica Zoo. Again, you should change your name to Zutica, just saying. Uh, maybe that will be on Maylin's agenda for the year. So this is a different kind of political process, but it's great to see that the uh, the person who should have won, won here. So congratulations to Maylin. And I'm curious to know, um, do you think that she won because of the in-person vote or do you think she got a lot of May Lin ballots? Oh, I actually stole that. It was it was on their sign. I'm I can't take credit for that joke, even though it's bad enough that normally I could. And continuing with a couple of other follow-up stories, uh, we all know that the Memphis Zoo recently lost Lala, one of their giant pandas, which I pronounced wrong when I announced it. It is pronounced Lala, despite being spelled L-E-L-E. And um, they put out a really great TikTok this week explaining what happened with Lala and explaining how the 10-year lease agreement 
uh, about the pandas worked and how many different veterinarians and experts were consulted and how they shared the blood test results and veterinary results and all these things and saying, look, this panda was geriatric but was well taken care of. There's no conspiracy. All of the dumb stuff that uh, we have talked about, you know, people saying about the Memphis Zoo being bad and not taking care of these pandas it was just not true. And we know that and we've talked about that on the podcast year before. But um, they did a really nice job detailing it and not being rude and not calling it the dumb stuff like I just did. And uh, people were horrible. As you can imagine, people started doing a concentrated campaign against the zoo on their social media. And so the Memphis Zoo has now announced that they are limiting comments on their posts. And if you would like to contact the zoo, you can do so by emailing them or calling. I'm not going to lie. My initial reaction to reading that was, look, you're in the zoo field and um, there are people that are opposed to things and limiting what they can say. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the best idea to me. But then I thought about it more and I realized that I was wrong. Uh, I push for zoo transparency, but the Memphis Zoo has been wildly transparent with this whole situation since well before Lola died. I mean, they have been awesome with talking through these concerns that people had about the pandas being well taken care of. And people are just horrible. And you know what? Self-care is real. The zoo field is one where people get attacked mercilessly. I know I've mentioned on here before that I have had my life threatened because of doing this podcast um, and drumming with Emily specifically. Uh, it's it's insane. People are cuckoo banana pants, I think is the, the technical term. And so you know what? Self-care matters. There are people on the other end of those comments. We've interviewed some of them, not at Memphis, but, you know, you know, Elena Bell at Akron. And um, you've heard snippets of people like Lauren at Adventure Aquarium. And, and these are people who have become friends of mine. And I know what those comments can do. And I know how hard it can be. And, and these are zoos that haven't been getting like crazy attacks like Memphis has. So I just want to say officially, awesome job, Memphis Zoo. Good job taking care of yourselves, your staff, and also, you know, good job with your pandas. Good job treating this sensitive and challenging time seriously, being transparent. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry that people suck. Uh, Ross Safari stands with the Memphis Zoo, 100%. And last but not least, to not leave you with a bad taste in your mouth about how horrible people are, uh, we'll touch on a story that uh, deals with a horrible person but has a happy ending, so slightly better, I guess. Um, as you all know, there was a lot of drama at the Dallas Zoo recently, and uh, it turns out that Bella and Finn, the Emperor Tamarin monkeys that were stolen from the zoo, are finally back home in their habitat uh, at the Children's Zoo. And you might be thinking to yourself, John, this is old news. You told us that they got back to the zoo a while ago, remember? Um, but they still had to go through a quarantine period just like they would if they were, you know, new animals coming to the zoo. Because who knows what happened out there in the wild? And so uh, Bella and Finn have made it through their quarantine and are back on exhibit, happy, healthy, and home. Yay! And last but not least in Zoo News this week, we have some breaking news. Uh, this actually happened after I recorded most of the episode, but here I am talking about it. Uh, the St. Louis Zoo announced uh, today, Thursday, February 23rd, that Ben, the Andean bear who escaped back on, I believe, February 7th, 
escaped again today. This happened despite the fact that the zoo did make improvements to his enclosure, including adding some secure um, stainless steel cargo clips, which are rated at 450 pounds tensile strength, which apparently was not enough to stop Ben from escaping again. So uh, yeah, this was when the zoo was open, and it took staff about 50 minutes to get Ben resecured. Uh, in that time, the visitors to the zoo were moved to indoor areas and were kept safe. Everyone and all animals and such were safe. But uh, yeah, second time in a month that Ben got out of his enclosure at the St. Louis Zoo. Uh, they are currently partnering with uh, the bear tag to um, try to figure out exactly what to do to keep Ben secure. But uh, yeah, this is I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love the St. Louis Zoo, but this is a heck of a failure on their part to have uh, a bear escape twice in one month, uh, including one time when people were at the zoo and and there could have been a very different ending to this story. So I really hope that they are able to fix this problem once and for all. <laughs> Stereotypical animal podcast theme song Here to bring you to conservation news We're going to start with a really cool story out of Hawaii uh, that um, <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce a lot of words in because there's a lot of Hawaiian locations coming up here, so I'm just going to wing it. Apparently, there is a lot of invasive seaweed and algae in the Kanioe Bay in Hawaii. And as such, a team from the Anui Nui Fisheries Research Center started raising and releasing juvenile native sea urchins into the Kanioe Bay in Oahu, Hawaii. And um, the idea here is that they are part of an ecosystem-based management plan, which allows them to basically um, work as underwater gardeners and keep invasive seaweeds under control, which allows corals to grow and provides better habitat for reef fish and other marine life. The team just recently announced its one millionth urchin release, one million, along with 13,000 others that they recently released. So this is a really big deal for helping keep the reefs healthy around Hawaii. And as you know from other episodes of this podcast or just not living in a box, um, coral reefs are really struggling in general. So seeing something like this is really, really encouraging and exciting. The Republic of Congo recently agreed to protect the Dejeke Triangle by making it part of the adjacent Noabale Nidoki National Park, which is the only habitat in the world that is home to both gorillas and chimpanzees. So this is a really big deal. Uh, and just kind of adding this land to already protected land is, is just a really cool step that will hopefully help out both species significantly. And last but not least, out of conservation news this week, there's a, a cool little look at uh, a bit of, um, I don't know if you could call it rewilding, but um, a, a return to a place that you might not have expected for some animals. NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida uh, has been turned into an area where um, you can go see old rockets and the vehicle assembly building and even launch sites of, of various rockets throughout the years. Um, however, uh, the area is also known now for becoming a refuge for thousands of animals 
including a bunch of bald eagles, which have started nesting there. And, you know, that's cool in and of itself. And like, yay, bald eagles and, and their populations growing. But I also just think it's such a such a cool thing to think about. The fact that this is Kennedy Space Station, where some of the most impressive technological advances that we've ever seen. I mean, we send people to space from there. That's really, really impressive. Uh, and, you know, you think about it as this vibrant and big place and all touristy and stuff, too. But it, it turns out that it can actually also be a really good place for animals. And this whole coexistence and the idea of animals coming back and reclaiming some of that land, even as we continue to use it, is just really cool. Something really neat to think about. So, yeah, makes me happy. In other and now, from our usual people suck department, uh, a alligator was recently found in Prospect Park in New York City. Uh, this is a, let's see here, oh, I don't know, almost five foot long alligator that apparently was dumped in the park after being taken care of in the worst way possible it appears as though it lived in a bathtub and at some point it uh it ate a drain stopper a bathtub drain stopper and it is now stuck inside this poor creature uh it's way too cold to have alligators outside in new york city right now um so generally uh, a female alligator around that size would weigh 30 to 35 pounds this one currently weighs 15 and frankly it is not doing well the uh, animal has been moved to the bronx zoo for care but they are unable to remove the stopper at this time uh, because they don't think that she would survive the surgery uh, so at this point in time the animal is not only not able to have surgery, but cannot even eat or drink for itself. So the zoo is being adorable and loving and uh, tube feeding this poor girl and and giving her fluids and everything, trying to keep her alive. So this is a great reminder that crazy exotic animals do not make good pets and uh, also that it is illegal to dump animals in a lot of places including new york city so um i know i don't have to say this to my listeners because you're all awesome animal lovers but don't be an idiot and don't get a pet that you cannot handle and if you do turn it in through proper channels not by dumping it in a park where it may well die and if it doesn't it only won't because an amazing zoo was amazing as always. One of the things that I love to kind of laugh about when I'm at zoos is the fact that people really don't understand animals. We talk about this a lot on here, you know, people who see a sea turtle living by itself and say, oh, that sea turtle needs a friend, when the sea turtle is a solitary creature that absolutely does not need a friend, you know, stuff like that. Well, Steelton, Pennsylvania is, is currently uh, on the lookout for a bear roaming around town, unless it's a dog. It might be a dog. See, it turns out that um, a, a person saw what they believed was a little bear in their garage, a very tiny bear. But then 
other people also believe that it might have been a chow chow because there's a chow chow that lives in Steelton that just roams around a lot. And so um, the police in Steelton have told people to keep their eyes open for a bear and to stay away from it, Uh, though it may also be a chow chow. But if so, chow chows can be mean. So stay away from it as well. And, um, yeah, I, is there a joke that I could make that would be funnier than this story? There, there's not. And last but not least, in other news this week, we finally have the answer. The answer to the question that has plagued scientists for decades. No, I'm, I'm not talking about a cure for cancer or some other crazy disease. I'm not talking about unlocking time travel secrets or anything like that. I am here to tell you, though, that we now officially understand why wombat poop is cubed. It basically comes down to how the feces dry out in the large intestine. Okay, so basically, when when mammals and most animals in, in general eat their food, they digest it, and it becomes this kind of sloppy slurry as it starts to go through the body. When it enters the large intestine, the large intestine will absorb a lot of that liquid back, which is why we have solid poops, unless we ate too much Mexican food or something. Um, but I, I apologize. But um, yeah, so that is what happens. And so it's been understood for a while that um, the unique shape of the wombat intestines had something to do with, with the cubing. And now they've realized that because that is where the poo goes from the slurry state to the solid state as liquid is absorbed, um, it, it tends to make a cube shape at that point. Furthermore, uh, as drying happens to solid materials in general, um, they, they will cause cracks and breaks. And so that is why it goes from one long cube-shaped log to a bunch of short, tiny cubes. It's, it's just because of, of how dry the poop gets in the wombat's large intestines. So uh, now you know why that happens. You're welcome. Oh, and in case you're wondering, this doesn't just apply to wombats. So basically, humans have about 75% water content in our stool, and so it's wetter than a lot of other animals, which is why we tend to produce tubes. And then um, the uh, wombat has about 65% water content in its poop, which is why it comes out as very broken up, very small chunks. And um, when the water content is around 70%, that is when animals produce pellet-shaped poo. So it's it's really just a matter of 5% here and there, whether we're going to have small little consistent poops or uh, long tubes of poop. And and then the shape of our intestines helps determine the, the shape of, of the poop. So um, yeah, now you know way more about poop than you ever wanted to, which, which I guess makes this a... Story. And that brings us to oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Hey, 
All right. So this is the end of February and the beginning of March this week. So February is Adopt a Rescue Rabbit Month, International Hoof Care Month, Fishing Cat February, National Bird Feeding Month. And then looking at the individual days, it is still Invasive Species Awareness Week. And February 27th is International Polar Bear Day. And then moving on to March, it's my birth month. Hello. We need to celebrate my birth all month because that's what I do. Uh, and also Dolphin Awareness Month. So me and the dolphins, that's, that's what we need to think about this month. And then uh, the first is National Pig Day. And, and, and I'm going to try to not let that hurt my feelings. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And there you go, folks. That's your uh, Zoo News for the week. I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda-level patrons, Lara Shank and Kristen Dickey, and to remind you all that you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash rossafari, and you'll get to hear cool bonus audio from some of our episodes and occasionally some other cool stuff as well. And also, I will be your friend. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed stories this week, and that includes Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Sam Evans, Liz Dunlevy, Natalie Berry, Katie Prop, Jacob Zinn, and Janelle Peterson. Always nice to see some cool new names popping up on that list. And uh, last but not least, remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yuswen. The Rossafari podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.